Hello, welcome to the Canola Watch podcast. I'm Jay Wetter. This is our third of our insect recap podcast for 2015. And with me are... Keith Gobert, Central Alberta South. And Gregory Zeckwitz, Peach Region of Alberta and British Columbia. Okay, welcome. In this episode, we're going to talk about diamondback moth. And it almost seems like, Greg, that it's that insect is, is to a point where it's been around so long. And I know most of them fly in from the southeast here, so it's not like they, they, they overwinter. But, but we do have um, almost an equilibrium reached, would you say, with the beneficials? Or how would you put that? Uh, that would be a tough one to phrase in, in that exact light. But uh, we, we do monitor wind trajectories because our diamondback moths do blow in from uh, the Midwest, or not the Midwest, sorry, uh, the Northwest U.S. and the, uh, and, uh, and the Southwest as well. And what they have been doing is the last few years of, of major flights is bring their parasitoids along with them. Now, a parasitoid is an insect that feeds specifically on, or doesn't feed, sorry, lays eggs in or... or uh, otherwise parasitizes uh, one specific species. So it doesn't, doesn't consume them, uh, but it, um, it doesn't consume them outright, I should say, but uh, just uh, parasitizes them slowly and, and drags them down to a horrible, awful death. Yeah, I've is, seen the picture. Yeah, yeah, which is a pretty, fantastic yeah. thing to witness, and, and, I, and I quite love it. Um, <laughs> so to put it into perspective, in the, in the late 90s and early 2000s, we had a couple of major flights of diamondback moth early in the season uh, that resulted in uh, like, like tens of millions of dollars in application costs and, and probably similar amounts of, of yield loss as well, um, and, and millions of acres being sprayed. Uh, by the latter half of the, uh, of the, the first decade of the, the 20th, 21st century, we saw uh, similar flights as early. But when we started sampling the, the, the worms later on in the season, we found parasitism rates in, in, the, in, the mag, in the order of magnitude of around 95 or 96%, or 90 to 95% anyway, to be a little more, a little more broad, uh, which, is, which is certainly every bit as good as an insecticide. So in the last couple of years that we've had these kind of early flights, they, they haven't really translated out into a lot of acres being sprayed or a lot of yield damage, uh, because our natural controls do seem to be working very well. Uh, be they some uh, some local ones, uh, some some generalist predators, because there are a lot of uh, of uh, for example crabbed beetles that will feed on the the, the diamondback moth larvae quite handily, uh, or bringing their parasitoids with them in, in the wind. Regardless, uh, that work is being done for us. So there's there's really yeah. no, there really hasn't been a lot of acres sprayed for diamondback moth in the last couple of outbreak years, uh, nor nor should there have been. So that's that's a, a, certainly a very encouraging story. You wrote an article for Canola Digest magazine, which will be coming out shortly, on um, just the incredible number of insects that could be in a canola field, but how few of those um, are actual pests relative to the number that, that could be beneficials or, or just there hanging out. Absolutely. The, the vast, overwhelming majority of the insects that you're, insect species, let's put it uh, that way, you're, that you're going to capture in a sweep net or, or in a pitfall trap are going to be uh, neutral at, at worst, and a great many of them are going to be beneficial. So the crowded beetles that I talked about earlier, um, we've actually found and identified uh, quite literally hundreds of species of them across the prairies. And to the point that on a single field, we can quite handily identify uh, like 50 species in, in a single field at any given time. Um, and again, the majority of these are generalist predators of the, the insect pests that we have. Um, and they're, 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 so they're doing some tr- tremendous work for us. At our winter cattle labs, we frequently have the, the arenas of death where we have the generalist predators or parasitoids attacking our, our pests. Um, and it's actually, 
it's, it's pretty fantastic to witness and we'll actually have uh, whole rooms and, and groups of farmers cheering maniacally uh, at, at the, the, the devastation that these things are, are wreaking upon pest species and it's, and it, and it's fantastic to watch. Um, so anything that we can do to encourage these species to, to do that and complete their life cycle is going to be um, generating returns for producers in, in the long run, um, absolutely, and potentially even in the short run, as we could see with uh, these averted diamondback moth outbreaks of, of the previous 10 years or so. So Keith, the, the term that we often put with thresholds is economic. So I mean, it's not like we're... Uh, uh, you know, thresholds are all about saving the beneficials, although that's obviously a big part of it. But but there's there's this balance between when you need to spray when it's likely to provide a, a return on investment, and and if you don't if you haven't reached that economic threshold, there's there's so many benefits to, to not spraying. Well, and even uh, even some of the insects we we've actually shown that a really light infestation of something like a cabbage seed pod weevil or perhaps even a ligus bug will increase your yield because the canola plant realizes it's under a little bit of stress. Its main goal in life is to produce some seed and make sure that it's got offspring in the soil to grow next year. So you'll see a little bit of a bounce from light insect pressure. Uh, But the trick is then to recognize when are they removing more than enough vegetation or seed out of the field to justify going in with what amounts to a broad spectrum insecticide, a a kill-all solution to manage that one pest because there's typically a lot a lot of different insects in the field and it's you, you have to make sure that as an insecticide is used it's kind of like the biggest hammer you have in your toolbox and it, once you use that hammer it's it's uh, sets all of those populations back yeah. um, so even in even in what well, we're all canola agronomists here today some of the things that we would do in our wheat or uh, in our canola will may perhaps impact things like wheat midge so one of the parasitoids of wheat midge tends to uh, hatch out of wheat stubble, which for the most part tends to be in, in canola fields, feed a bit there and then move on to go find some wheat midge, which have migrated to the, to the wheat field next. So it's a really a, a well interconnected system and the percentage of problem insects in that system are really low. So there, and there's a number of, of insects that we've got really great thresholds for. Ligus bugs would be one of them. In fact, we've had ligus bug thresholds now since the, uh, since the early 90s that make it look like a very prescriptive approach to, to controlling insects. You look at the chart, you, you say my canola's worth $8, it costs me $8 to spray. There's a number on the chart at which point you should consider starting to spray. And, you know, despite the fact we've got great thresholds, it's one insect we probably spend three to four weeks talking about amongst the Canola Council agronomists on how are we going to manage this insect, when are we going to encourage people to spray, when are we going to encourage them not to spray? Because our practical experience in the field wouldn't seem to indicate that they're doing as much damage under a lot of conditions as the chart would show us. And, and really, to, to, to draw that one further, uh, I say this a lot, and I'm going to say it one more time. The economic threshold is, is merely the point at which the cost of control is equal to the amount of damage being done. Uh, it's not the point where you're losing a crop. I don't think I can really say that often enough. Uh, so I would really want to see a grower in excess of that threshold number uh, before he would make that application, and, and strictly for an economic reason. If I if I need to spend fifteen dollars in in July and not expect a return of, of of more than that in October, I would be extremely disinclined to do so. Um, so the the threshold is is the point 
at which I would uh, not be losing sleep, but preparing to spray. And if my, my pest numbers were, were approaching that threshold number, I'm still money ahead to, to sleep in, go golfing, uh, throw a line in the water, uh, whatever it is that you'd rather be doing than, than, than spraying insecticides. Greg, I want to move on to a, another pest, not yet serious, but could be, Swede Midge. Um, I don't really think that we've seen a whole lot of economic loss from these yet, though, though the potential for them to do so is, is certainly large. In, uh, in Ontario, for example, in uh, the, the northern, canola gro knowing northern growing regions of Ontario where they, where they grow canola, uh, Swede Midge have actually been really, really devastating and have thus far defied any real efforts to uh, come up with, with threshold data or even management practices. Uh, so they, they've actually been really, really awful there. Uh, Western Canada, uh, they, they, they haven't really taken off to that extent yet, though the, the habitat is likely going to be quite conducive to them. One of the very encouraging things, though, is that in the surveys that we've been doing for them in the last couple of years, we have actually found a, uh, a parasitoid of them. So there, there is a natural control present in Western Canada. Uh, to what extent it's going to, to limit any potential future outbreak is, is a little bit up in the air right now. But as I mentioned, we're, we're currently monitoring for it, uh, gauging its spread, and, and, and really hoping that, uh, again, the natural controls can keep these in, in check to the point that they don't become a major economic concern for us. And while we talk about it being a new pest here, Swede Midge have been on the entomologist radar uh, uh, simply because it's globally an important pest and the climate models that we drew up said that it was well adapted or at least adapted to most of the canola growing area. So the concern with Swede Midge is not necessarily the damage that we've seen in that northeastern area of Saskatchewan. The concern is that it has managed to overwinter its footprint or its spread has increased from, I would say, that Melfort, Tisdale area, uh, all the way through the northern portions of Saskatchewan right to the Alberta border. And if it were to establish itself and have a few good years, or at least one good year, uh, with this particular insect, it can have multiple overlapping generations. And if it gets to reasonably high numbers early in the season, perhaps we won't see that in Western Canada, but when you have areas where it can have three to five generations in a year and the first generation emerges when you only have a single growing point that they start to eat on, it's devastating. If the kind of damage we see in, in northern Saskatchewan is, is the extent of the damage we're going to see, you see some fused flowers, perhaps uh, the odd growing point missing, and you shrug your shoulders and say, what are these guys worrying about? But if it gets worse than that, that insect has some pretty huge potential to impact canola production. And so as a result of that, we have really ramped up the monitoring efforts. So that, is, uh, that has been, been increasing for the last couple of years and will only continue to, to do so, so. Thanks, Greg. Thanks, Keith. If you want to read Greg's article that we mentioned earlier in the podcast, it's in the November 2015 Canola Digest, which you can find at the Canola Council website at canolacouncil.org. This has been a Canola Watch podcast. I'm Jay Wetter.